0: Welcome to the Grove Church podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. Welcome again to the Grove Church. If we've not yet met, my name is Christian Williams. I'm the lead pastor of the Grove, and we're continuing a series called One small step. Last week, uh, we looked at the restoration of the Israelites, this key moment in the Israelites' history, and we saw that just like them at that key time in their restoration, it's easy for us to think that the small stuff doesn't really matter. Uh, And what we saw last week is that God really does pay attention to that small stuff. And He he not only pays attention, but He uses it to do big things. I, I came across a statement From author Warren Wearsby, which is just another way of saying what I mentioned last week, but it's so good, I think it will really help us be reminded of what we're looking at over the course of this series. He says this Bible history is the record of God using small things. When God wanted to set the plan of salvation in motion, He started with a little baby named Isaac. When he wanted to overthrow Egypt and set his people free, he used a baby's tears. He used a shepherd boy and a sling to defeat a giant, and a little lad's lunch to feed a multitude. He delivered the apostle Paul from death by using a basket and a rope. He goes on, Never despise the day of small things, for God is glorified in small things and uses them to accomplish great things. And, and that really is uh, the heartbeat of what we're trying to see throughout this series is how does God use the small things of our lives uh, to do great things? How important are those small things? And here's the thing, though, e- even if you're tracking with me, even if you've heard that, maybe you listened to it last week, you were part of uh, and were thinking about it last week and you, you hear it today even if you believe that right that that God does pay attention to the small stuff and that he can use the small small stuff it can be hard to see uh, for us for us to see the significance of our steps right to to really see okay well I get God that you're saying this and I'm going to step in faith but I don't always get to see how my steps are significant uh, as I was thinking about that I was reminded of one of my favorite uh, pastimes if I got a little bit of time and we're hanging out as a family, watching YouTube. I love Rube Goldberg machines. Okay? now I don't sit around and build Rube Goldberg machines, but I love watching other people build them and, and watching how they work, right? Because a, a Rube Goldberg machine essentially is a series of small steps that lead to an important outcome. You have a picture of one here, just this old cartoon. And this is just a, a Rube Goldberg machine for wiping your face with a napkin. Right? A, a series of, of random steps, seemingly random steps, but when they're linked together, they provide a, a helpful outcome. Now, I want you to suspend for a second the, the understanding that it's far easier to just pick up your hand and wipe your face than it is to use that entire machine. That's part of the fun of the Rube Goldberg machine, is that it's a little ridiculous. And I, I want you just to just understand that, that I'm using that example because from our perspective, it can all, all often feel like our steps are just as ridiculous as those that go into a napkin wiping machine, like the one you saw in that cartoon. But from God's perspective, our steps are really significant. And part of the life of faith, part of the challenge we have is to move our vision, move our perspective from our common human perspective to more God's perspective. Again, to see how He views our small steps and how our steps fit into this bigger picture. So today what I want to do is look at one of those situations that Warren Wiersbe mentioned as he commented on that passage in Zechariah. It's a situation where God used some, something very small to make a very big impression. And as we do that today, as we look into this passage, we're going to see that what God intends to do is for our steps to take us toward Others. Okay, so that's the, the point today is to see how we're to take steps toward others. We're just going to jump into Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. And there we're told that when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women, and children, now, This is a passage we looked, about, looked at together a few months ago, but I wanted to revisit it and, and see it from a little bit different angle, And uh, but I do want to remind us of what's going on here. Jesus has been uh, just swamped in ministry. He's been enduring a lot, and now he's trying to get some, some time away, but these crowds are following him. It's the time of the Passover, and so many, many more people are in town, and they're, they're there to celebrate this Jewish tradition. But they've heard about Jesus and they're interested to know who this strange, mysterious, but miracle-making man is. And so they're following him, and it's this huge crowd. And so then they find themselves with a big problem, right? There's this huge crowd, and they got they've got to eat. And the the Jesus' ministry associates, his disciples, they're looking at this crowd, going, hey, at some point, These people got to eat. Like we've been doing all this ministry. Yes, Jesus, you're teaching them. But, you know, it's not going to help them if they pass out from hunger. So we need them to have a meal. They need dinner. And so the the disciples look at this this situation and they say, how are we going to possibly solve this? In fact, they come up with their own plan. They say, you know, even if we had 200 denarius and we, we went into town and tried to buy all this food, it wouldn't work. What they're saying is, even if we had eight months' pay, that, that's what they're looking at. They're making a, a suggestion. They're thinking it would take because a, a denarius with a, was about a day's wage. They're saying if we had eight months' pay, this massive amount of money, and we went into town, that still probably wouldn't be enough to feed this crowd one meal. It seems impossible, but at some point, Jesus looks into this whole situation, and he says, "No, we have a solution." And the solution is found in five loaves and two fish. Now, specifically, these are uh, there, there's a specific kind of loaves and fishes. And we're going to look here at another passage that describes this same account uh, here in a moment. But I'm just going to borrow some of the details from that passage. What we find in John's account of this is that the loaves were barley loaves. And, and that there were then these fish. So same thing, five loaves, two fish but they were barley loaves. Barley was a common food for the poor. Uh, this was not something where, you know, the, the really well-to-do walked around with barley. They wanted wheat, but the poor had barley. And then there was fish. And the likelihood here is that these were dried or pickled fish, right? The best thing I can compare it to uh, for today would be like a can of sardines. But these were probably a little bit bigger fish, and, but it's the same thing. It's something that you can take with you, and keep preserved and, and go on a journey and this still work out. And so what we're talking about here with these five loaves and two fish is really a common meal of peasants, a common peasant meal that probably was intended to serve one or two people. But again, there's a huge crowd. But Jesus says, no, nope, this is what I'm going to use to solve this problem. And, and we start to get a glimpse here in this passage, that that God is going to do something huge through this. In fact, he's going to make a very big impression. The result of this situation and the way that Jesus sets out to handle it is he's going to make a big impression. And that impression involves what what we're told is 5,000 men plus women and children. So the likelihood here is that there's maybe close to 20,000 people in this crowd. It's a massive crowd. And again, you can see why the disciples are so bothered by that, why they're so just overwhelmed by what is it gonna take in order to make this happen. They don't think there's any way for them to handle this situation. What we find is as Jesus deals with this situation, as he's miraculously feeding this crowd, this massive crowd through this common peasant lunch, what it does is it connects Jesus back to the past, the, the things that are happening here, where God, where Jesus is providing uh, this, this sustenance. It's meant to be a link to take us back into uh, the Old Testament, back into the history of Israel, and realize Jesus is the better Moses. He, he's doing like Moses did in the life of the Israelites, but he's going to do something even more, even greater. And so the the details here are meant to link back to Moses, but it's also meant to set our sights forward into the future, to realize that Jesus has come to usher in this bountiful kingdom. The generosity here where, where there's all these people provided for and there's stuff left over is meant to help us see that Jesus is ushering in a kingdom of generosity, a kingdom of bounty. In fact, this account ends as we again if we look over in John 6, this account ends with people trying to make him king because the people are, are recognizing, wait, this guy is like the one who was to come, like the better Moses that we were told about back in the Old Testament. But he's also doing something that is better than anything our current leaders can provide. And so they say, if, if anybody is going to be this, uh, this Messiah, this leader, this general, who's going to take us to the heights of, of who we want to be as the people of God, it's got to be this guy. But they misunderstood exactly how Jesus was going to operate, how he was going to usher in that kingdom. If we go back to last week when we looked at the book of Zechariah and the fact that there was this group despising the day of small things, that group would have seen this same situation and gone and had the same response most likely. They would have said, oh look, all, that, all those small things that we were despising, we now see that they're coming true. The, the, good, the, the full restoration that God is doing, it's coming true. And so we can see and understand why they made this mistake, but Jesus says, no, you don't get to determine and dictate how I lead my kingdom. It operates differently. In fact, we said last week that the kingdom of God is subversive. It, it looks smaller than it really is on the surface. But eventually, when God in His timing, when it's ready, it becomes bigger than we can imagine. And so, again, that's what we're seeing going on here. But with that background in mind, as we think about this situation, I want us to, to learn a couple things. Pull out a couple things that I think are, are really just glaring for us but are important for us as we think about our own steps, the the small things that make up our days. And the first one is this, that in God's hands, seemingly big problems provide him with a big opportunity to make a big impression. I want you to notice Jesus, he's given the the fish and the loaves, and it says that he takes them and he, he, he blesses them. Or again, it's mentioned elsewhere that he thanks God for them. Here's Jesus, God himself, taking these things, and in His hands, as He blesses them, as He invokes the blessing of God the Father upon these things, they are transformed. They are used in this massive way. And and, and so it's a reminder for us that as we face big problems they really can be an opportunity for God to make a big impression. I want us to now turn over to John chapter 6, where we see another account of this situation. Verses 4 through 7, it says, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. Okay. Now, I, want us to, I just want to make a real quick comment because if you're tracking with me, you may go, hold on a second. The way that account read, John, and the way this whole thing goes down is different than the way Matthew describes it. What's the deal? Because in Matthew's account, it says that the disciples came to Jesus and said, how are we going to feed these people? But here in John's account, it says that Jesus goes to a disciple and says, how are we going to feed these people? So which is it? And, oh, is this one of those accounts where, or one of those situations that I'm, I've always worried about where the Bible is contradicting itself and now I've got to watch my whole faith crumble because I, I came across one of these? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, right? I mean, if that was really the case, I, I'd either, you know, would have, we wouldn't be doing this or uh, I would have just tried to hide it, right? No, we're not going to hide it. This is, that's not the case. In fact, there's, there's ways where we can understand when sometimes uh, these accounts, they don't seem to exactly match up in our minds, there's explanations for this. It doesn't have to make our faith crumble or, or even question our faith. In fact, think about this, right? You've got two different perspectives, and there's two different reports in terms of how did this whole thing go down. Now, they may be different, but they're not contradictory. In fact, it says that on the one hand, the disciples came to Jesus in, in Matthew, And they asked him a question. Here it says that Jesus turned to a particular disciple, Philip, and asked him a question. And so it it could have been that both of those happened, that Jesus talked to Philip, and that at some point the disciples came to Jesus. And and somewhere along the way, they worked this thing out. The, The details don't contradict each other, they're just different perspectives on the same story. But I want us to notice, right, what Jesus sees here is an opportunity. They see a problem, but he sees an opportunity. This is a test for Philip, is what John describes it as, a test for Philip. But it's a lesson for all the disciples. They're going to see something that's going to give them a greater glimpse of who Jesus is and what he's all about. But this is all coming out of this big question, right, which is how in the world will we deal with this problem? How in the world will we deal with this? And it's a question that we all face. We we all come up against things. where We say, how are we going to deal with this? In fact, we're beginning a new year looking back on a year that was filled with this question. How in the world will we deal with a pandemic, a global pandemic? This thing that some have even described as a plague. This this is what our our year has been made up of. And yet here we are, right? Here, Here we are. After nine months of, uh, maybe more, of plugging away um, and dealing with all the curveballs, that have come as a result of this giant problem. And we've, it's been a year just filled with trying to solve one problem after another. How are we going to make worship happen? How are we going to keep people helping each other, loving each other, growing in the Lord? All these different situations. Not, that's just as a church, but, but as well as our individual challenges. How are we going to continue to make ends meet? How are we going to deal with our businesses or our jobs when they're changing? There's been all these challenges. And again, the question has been, how in the world will we deal with this? But I want us to see, right, as we've dealt with this, as we've plugged away, and and as we've prayed, one of the ways that that God dealt with us, one of the things that God did with this big problem in His hands, for us as the Grove Church, this big problem has turned into an incredible opportunity. We're we're right in the midst of Operation Oddfellows. We're right in the middle of having a, of renovating a space that is going to be our own, that's going to help us solve one of the problems we had, which is how do we get back to meeting together? We, we found ourselves running into roadblocks in terms of being able to do that. And here's God providing for us. Now, he's not provided for every church the same way he has provided for us. But I I can tell you, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are pastors of other churches, and I've watched how God has provided in new ways, even as they faced these big challenges, these big problems. But here we are, renovating this building on Locust Street. And I find there's a little irony in the fact that we've been dealing with a world plague. And God put us in a spot that's on Locust Street. Right? One of the, the plagues of the Bible. I'm not getting all weird. Don't, don't take that too far. But, but I just find the, the, this fun irony in that. That out of this plague, God has put us on Locust Street. In this place where he's showing that he can handle big problems. That they are an opportunity for him to make a big impression. And that's exactly what he's done. I, I want to re- give you this update. Now, we've been, again, plugging away. We've been working hard. We had a budget that was getting us in the door that was the bare bones. Hey, this is what it takes to to jump in and take advantage of this opportunity. And in the time since then, in the time since late October, early November, when we made this commitment as a church, we've seen God come through and solve our problems in a massive way. We've received as a church through a variety of means, and I'm making a bit of a rough estimate, but somewhere in the neighborhood, it, the, I say rough estimate because the number continues to grow in a lot of ways, but, but God has given us, uh, through the generosity of others, $150,000. Now, again, we were prepared to spend $110,000 on this renovation. That was a, a bare bone, hey, this gets us in the door, lets us, again, take advantage of this opportunity. And in the time since then, we've received somewhere in the neighborhood of $150,000 towards this renovation. God has done immensely beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And it's going to allow us to take better advantage of the opportunity before us. He's solving this big problem that we had in an even bigger way. That's what God does. He takes big problems and He uses them to make... A big impression. I hope you will rejoice with me. Those of you who are, you know, maybe you're, you're here, you didn't know about all of this, but, but you have been tracking with us. Man, this is exciting. This is something to praise God for, for his goodness to us. And, and it's also, also an opportunity. I mean, it's a further opportunity and a responsibility that we be good stewards with that that's come in. So I want to rejoice in that. But I want us to notice the second thing. As we think about big problems, I also want us to see that in God's hands, seemingly small contributions provide us with a big opportunity to make a big impression. Okay. God's hands allow for big problems for Him to provide Him with an opportunity to make a big impression, but small contributions provide us with a big opportunity to make a big impression. I want you to hear again Matthew 14:17. This is the response to the big problem, right? This is what the disciples say to him. We only have five loaves and two fish here. They look at it and they go, this is all we've got. We've just surveyed this crowd and all we've been able to come up with is five loaves and two fishes. Two fishes, two fish. And yet, God's gonna do something with that. And I want us to notice though, this is part of why I wanted us to look over at, at John's account. Because I want us to, to notice where this meal comes from, okay? We're told here in Matthew that it, it comes from the crowd. But we're given even more detail in John's gospel. and We see that there is uh, not just a crowd, but a, a particular person behind the solution. John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9 says that one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, right, when Jesus asked this question, how are we going to feed them? He says to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish but what are they for so many? Okay. Do, do you notice the two questions? Right In Matthew, they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. And here in John, Andrew says, what are these five loaves and two fish for so many? It's the question that plagues us, right? Is How in the world can this small contribution actually make a difference? Now, that's the question that the disciples are asking, but I want us to think a little bit kind of use our, our, you know, God-given imagination and and think a little more deeply here, right? Because I want to, we can see how the disciples are processing this, but I want us to imagine what was going through that young boy's head when he, when it was asked of him to give up his lunch to feed this crowd, okay? Now, Now, notice, this whole crowd, this is all they're able to collect, which means that out of this whole crowd, there's one guy that's actually prepared for the day, okay? I find that funny. There's one person who's actually prepared and has a lunch or or has a dinner. Maybe everybody else had already eaten something earlier in the day, this guy had skipped a meal, I don't know, but out of all of this, they find one person who's got something to offer. And now, we don't know, what was that encounter like when the disciples came to him? Was it one of those, you know, voluntold situations, right? Like, hey, yeah, I'll give up my, sure, okay, I guess I'm gonna give up my lunch. I don't know. But he does. And you can imagine, though, as he's being asked about this, the questions going through his head. Most obviously, well, if they're taking my five loaves and two fish, what am I going to eat? Right? I mean, that's a natural question. But there's also this other question, similar to what the disciples are asking, which is, well, what difference will this make? I mean, okay, I guess you're going to take my lunch, but and, and I guess I'll, I'll live with that, but what difference is five loaves and two fish really going to make? How in the world will this matter? And, and that's the question that, again, I think pops up for us as we look at our own steps, our small contributions. We wonder, how in the world will this even matter? Many years ago, from 2008 Uh, Through 2010, I pastored, some of you know this, I pastored a church called Breakthrough Church. It's no longer in existence. It was a collegiate church that had existed for about four years prior to me becoming the pastor. Uh, The founding pastor left to go out to the West Coast, and he planted, he went on to plant a church in the San Francisco Bay Area that has, in the, the 12 or so years since then, has, uh, it's it's exploded and it's got multiple campuses and they've reached hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, for the Lord. It's been amazing to watch how God has worked powerfully through him. He's a good leader, he's a godly man and they've done a tremendous work there in the San Francisco Bay area. And I then came on and, and became the lead pastor of this church at U- University of Texas at Arlington. Well, I led that church for Two and a half years, and uh, as we were as the that we were into that third year, it became clear to me that that it was time for that chapter to end. And so we did. We brought that church to an end, and um, other things happened a- after that. But but that was a difficult season for me. It was a season of of uh, just a, some feeling of failure. Um, I was also appreciative of the the time I'd had, but it, it was a time where I was questioning what. What good was this? What, what good have I personally done in leading this? Right? I could see the benefit of, of what had come before, but in my time, it was, there was just some soul searching or, or some questioning, and some of that was okay and good to, to evaluate and, and ask some questions about lessons learned, but some of it was just this difficulty of feeling like, man, I, my contributions were, were really just pretty small, and they didn't make much difference. Now, in the years since then, I've been able to get more perspective and I've been able to watch different people that we impacted during that time that I interacted with and, and see some good things that God has done out of that. But, but I want you to know something that I was reflecting on this week um, that's a, a connection to that whole time. You see, at the tail end of my time at Breakthrough, I had two people on staff with me that last semester that we, we led that church. I had two people on staff with me. One was... Stephen Daniel, and the other was his, uh, soon to, or his wife at that time. They had just gotten married, uh, his wife, Hannah Daniel. Um, in the time after Breakthrough ended, uh, I went back to on staff at Hope Church, and Stephen and Hannah came over to Hope Church, and they went through a lot of training, and, um, and then eventually uh, Stephen replaced me on staff when I came here to Kansas City. And then in the, the last two years, Stephen and Hannah moved here to plant a church. And here at the end of the month, River Park Church is going to be baptizing uh, their first, uh, have their first baptisms as a church. God used what I thought were small contributions. And that's not to say I wasn't the only one that has a part in Stephen and Hannah and their growth and all the things that God's doing in and through them. There's a lot of people that are part of that story. But it was a reminder to me that what I thought were small contributions in God's hands they're making a big difference, and, and it's such a joy to get to see uh, them being used by him, along with all the people who are now a part of that team. And, and, and what's even more exciting, I, I, some of you heard this story in one of my uh, Operation Oddfellows updates, but one of those people being baptized here at the end of the month was a, a man from Mongolia, an international student at Park University, that one of our church members over the last many months, all through 2020, had been meeting with and sharing the gospel with and then eventually connected to River Park because they were right there near where he goes to school. And now they're going to, he he accepted the Lord, he trusted the Lord for new life, and now he's going to be baptized. This is in God's hands, taking small contributions and, and using us to make this big impression. That's what he does. And so I want to remind us as we think about that, right, that that this is the way that God works. And so the the last thing I would point out to us as we consider how our steps in God's hands really make a difference is this, that as you follow Jesus, he will lead you toward the concerns of others. Just understand that. As you follow Jesus, he will lead you toward the concerns of others. He, He wants us to take steps toward others, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are his workmanship. He's describing those who have received this new gift of, or this gift of new life in Christ. He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We said last week, God establishes our steps. If you are in Christ, if you've received, again, that gift of salvation, just like my friend that's over at River Park. That means that you have been recreated. You you are His workmanship created now in Christ Jesus. Not just in your mom and dad, but created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, we'll follow Jesus, and He's going to lead us toward the concerns of others. That's what He's prepared. He, He has these things for us to do. This is what He calls us to do. And so, You and I, we are called to take these steps forward with God in faith, to walk with Him. Proverbs 16.3, we looked at last week, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. And and as we think about that, again, I want to invite you to take this small days challenge with me. You can, you see the, the website there, you can go there and you see the full rundown. Today, I want to talk about just three of them real quick. And run back through and remind you that that these are some steps, some small steps that you can take. And you you may look at this and say, hey, I'm already doing some of that. Great. Then what is the step that Jesus would lead you forward to take? But maybe some of these you you say, well, I'll do more than, than what's required there. Now, understand, I'm not saying this is like, this isn't chapter and verse. I'm giving you some practical ideas of how you can move forward. And maybe God has something else for you to do, but I want you to consider these because I think they are things that that God wants for us. And so the first one is this. Worship with God's people for 24 hours every six months. That's one hour a week. And you say, well, I thought God is the audience. Aren't we talking here about taking steps towards others? Yeah, God is the audience of our worship. But you know, the great sadness of these last many months is that, that this pandemic has isolated us from each other. The great challenge, the great problem that we face is how do we stay tied in to one another? God wants us together. He he does want our worship. I mean, our worship is about Him. It should be focused on Him, but He wants us together. And so I want to encourage you to to think about making steps to gather with God's people in worship. You say, well, I'm still really concerned about COVID, and I, I have this reason and that reason that I'm not prepared to go and gather with a group. And I understand that. And I perfectly respect that. And in no way do I want to do any kind of weird, manipulative anything that would suggest that you need to leave those concerns behind altogether. But I do want to say this. I I do want you to consider and and make sure that your reasons for not gathering with God's people in person are that you, you have specific health reasons that would keep you from that. That, that this isn't a situation where you're, you're just not re-engaging out of fear or you're not re-engaging because of convenience. I know the pull to pajamas and your couch. I've felt it myself. It's been an adjustment as we've gotten back to doing this. Um, and, and so, again, we have each before the Lord, we have to make good decisions for our family. We have, we, you have your own conscience before Him to deal with. But I do want to I do want to commend to you that God wants us to be together. And this is perhaps a step you could take. Maybe the step is simply to say, you know what, I need to get back to actually re-engaging with things online and making sure that I'm I'm staying engaged on a regular basis with God's people. I can't be with them in person, but I can at least be a part of the same things and we can walk forward together. I want to encourage you to do that. The second thing, the second step for today is to think about giving one day's income each month to support God's mission. One day is essentially 5% of your income. Okay. Now, again, I don't know everybody's financial situation. I do know that the biblical standard for giving as Christ followers is 10%. But maybe you have not been there. And, and maybe you haven't done anything. So this is meant to be an initial small step to say, would you at least consider trusting God with that step? Now maybe for you, it's moving beyond one day's giving to two days giving to 10%. Maybe for others, it's stepping beyond even that 10%. But, but I want to remind us that as we give to God's mission, to, to support God's mission, we're working together to spread the gospel in the real world where things cost money. And as we've done that, right, as a church, we've been able to support church planting, four different church plants around the United States. We've been able to be a part of rebuilding together KC projects where we've gotten our hands dirty in helping uh, fix up people's homes that have, have come into disrepair. We've supported Level Up Kids, a, a mini, or a, an organization that provides, eyes, or, um, I'm sorry, that provides dental care and eye care, for kids in our community. Refuge KC, a ministry that exists to help refugees learn the hope of the gospel and and find practical uh, help as they transition to this country. We've been able to support Rachel House, help not just women but families um, make a choice for life and and learn to uh, do all that's needed in taking care of an unplanned pregnancy and be able to love that new child. We're a part of helping with North Kansas City schools and and caring for students in those schools. We've been a part of projects in the city of Gladstone to make that a a better place to live. We're engaged in in loving our neighbors and prayer walking and now in renovating this building. Those are all things that that take money, but the money isn't the end-all be-all. It's the ministry that we get to do, the spread of the gospel that we get to be a part of. And so I want to encourage you to consider being a part of that. And then the last thing here is to serve 24 hours on Operation Oddfellows. I want you to see a picture. Some of you have seen this if you've been in the building. It's a man hour counter. You've been walking in going, is that an abacus? I don't know. What is it? Um, But it's a man hour counter. Uh, Everybody that has come that's a part of the grove that's come and served in some capacity over the last many months has got a, a little tube And what I'm asking you to do is every time you come to drop one of our 3,000 ball bearings in your tube to represent the hour that you've spent or the hours that you've spent. It's meant to be a visual reminder that this isn't just happening because we've got some money to do something. This is happening because we as a people are coming together and putting in our own time and resources, blood, sweat, and tears to make this thing happen. And what we're gonna do, uh, with, this is why we're collecting those, those ball bearings that way, is that when this project is completed, we're gonna pull all those ball bearings together and we're gonna create a, a shadow box of sorts uh, that will be the grove leaf in relief. It'll be plexiglass and you'll see the grove leaf. And we're gonna pour into that, that box all the hours that went into renovating Locust Street to allow for ministry to expand there in Gladstone. And it's going to be front and center as people walk in and they're going to look at this new space and be reminded all of us that have contributed and all the new people, it will tell the story of us as a people coming together, putting in that time to make this possible. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to consider coming. You you may not make it to 24 hours. We've got plenty coming up over the next couple months, especially February and March. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for the work to ramp up to become more general again. It's been a little bit more specific, um, but there's going to be lots of different ways that you're going to be able to pitch in people of all ages. We've had kids in there as young as four years old pitching in and helping make things happen. We've had folks much older than that, okay, helping make things happen. And I want you to be a part of Operation Fellows, Consider maybe serving 24 hours over the next few months through either a couple nights a week at different points, bigger time gaps on a Saturday to pitch in and help make this possible. Again, in God's hands, no problem is too big and no contribution is too small. Let's walk with him and let's see what he does. Let's see the impression that he'll make. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Christ Jesus. For the generosity that has come to us through him. He didn't come just to to feed us. He came to give us new life. But Lord, we we see through him that as we put our lives in your hands, nothing is, is too small. No contribution is too small. You will use those things. And as we face problems, as we face difficulties, you will work. We rejoice. We thank you for the generosity that you've shown us over these not last few months, the ways that you've carried us through. It's been a difficult season, and we continue to walk through it, but we thank you for your work in our lives and in the life of this church. We praise you for your goodness to us. We ask you to continue to work powerfully for your glory and for our good and the good of those who have yet to meet you that we hope to be a part of helping introduce them to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.